This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. Hi everyone, this is Ann Brennan um, for WSFI FM 88.5 and WNDZ 750 AM in the greater Chicago area. And I'm thrilled today to welcome my good friend, Doug Grain, to specifically talk about the first book he's published called Against the Grain, Heroic Catholics Through the Centuries. Uh, Doug is a great friend of mine, and he's married to a fabulous woman, Mary Grain, also a really good friend. They have four terrific children. Uh, they live on the North Shore, and Doug and Mary are both uh, true Catholics and have raised their children accordingly. Uh, Doug is a man of many talents. He's probably blushing right now. Um, he's an entrepreneur, and he's had experience in public relations, government affairs, transportation. But he's also really prolific in helping Catholic causes and spreading the message of the Catholic faith. Um, he was the executive producer, if you've seen this, of Mass of the Ages, Episode 2, which is excellent. And there will be a third installment, and he's the executive producer of Episode 3, and we anticipate that will come out in later 2023 or in 2024. Doug also is the co-executive producer of a pro-life film called Divided Hearts of America with Ben Watson, and he is an executive producer of St. Michael, Meet the Angel. Doug has invested in several other Catholic film projects, which are still to be produced and hit the big screen. Um, Doug is really one of the most articulate, interesting, and really um, engaged Catholics I've ever met, along with his wife, Mary. So I'm thrilled today to talk about his first book, Against the Grain, which uh, takes a saint from each century, so 21 saints, pairs it with a virtue, but also comments um, on contemporary applications and how this applies today, gives us some history and theology background, and um, there's just many layers to it. So the first question before we get into the contents of the book itself is I want to ask you, Doug, what inspired you, given everything else you do, what inspired you to write this book? And maybe you can comment generally how you pick these saints. Anne, hello, good to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, in terms of you know, setting out to write a book, I mean, what's the point? What could you do? What impact could you have? Who's going to read it? You don't know all these questions. You, know, you don't have all the answers, but you just kind of set out. You put out into the deep, and that's what I did with this book. I started out with it being the saints, and then I thought about pairing it with virtue, and then I'm thinking, you know, I think I really you know, should tie this into current affairs, and, and I wanted to make the book relatable, so I, I put it's semi-autobiographical in parts where I talk about my experience, where I've been, what I've seen, and how my faith has impacted the decisions that I've made. But a lot of times when you take a look at what's going on in the world and you see how crazy it is, you're like, oh my goodness, where do you begin? Where do you start? So I remember a quote from, from uh, Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen when he said, the only way to address our times is to be a saint. Okay, all right. Um, and then he added, this is the only choice before us. Either we try to revolutionize the world and break under it, or we revolutionize ourselves and remake the world. So that's, what I, that's kind of the frame of, of mind that I had when I set out to, 
to write this to to have an impact and and hopefully to encourage people because we need encouragement um, we don't need to be despondent we need to be hopeful and there's so much hope inside the Catholic Church inside of our faith to follow Christ that's what to be Catholic is it's to be hopeful well it's great and um I can't say enough for our listeners how interesting and fascinating this book is on so many fronts. Um, I wanted to read a quote in the preface from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano um, and says, quote, In this book, Doug Green chose saints who are dear to him, drawing from each an example of a particular virtue. We know about the life of the saints in order to imitate them knowing that even if we ourselves are not worthy to be raised to the glory of the altars, at least we can have hope, which is a theological virtue, that the Lord will assist us by his grace in seeing us as he wants us to be. And the first indispensable virtue of the saints, and therefore also of those who want to emulate them, is humility. Um, End of quote. And so today... Um, each and every saint is interesting. The book is designed that you can you don't have to follow in chronological order. You pick the ones you're drawn to. So um, I told Doug the ones I was drawn to the most are Saint Polycarp, Saint Rock, Saint Rose of Lima, Saint or Blessed Franz Jägerstetter, and then Carlo Acutis. So we're going to talk about those today. And the first one I wanted to start with is um, Saint Polycarp. And I wanted to read a quote by St. Jose Maria Escrivá in the book that says, quote, A saint is a sinner that keeps trying. So St. Polycarp is from the second century, correct, Doug? Correct. And um, the virtue St. Polycarp is paired with is candor. And uh, I'm going to let Doug elaborate on how he um, <laughs> cast aside heretics and people that didn't believe you know, God and Jesus was really God, and uh, Saint Polycarp never minced words, right? He just told he them not. exactly what to do. So, would you like to give us some examples of his life and what resonated with you, particularly with this saint? Sure. With Saint Polycarp, he was disciple of Saint John the Beloved. Um, his time was one of incredible growth and persecution for the Church. Um, he used unambiguous, unambiguous language. Uh, when confronting others, and in particular this one uh, gentleman, Maricon, and is, he was a man who taught many errors. And St. Polycarp said to him, I, I recognize you as the firstborn of Satan. Who talks like that? Who speaks with such candor? Clearly, you know, a Catholic saint. Um, so when he was 86 years old, he was captured at his farmhouse. He asked for more time to pray. He wanted to prepare a meal for his captors. Um, As he was brought to the arena to be martyred, he heard a voice from heaven, be brave, Polycarp, and act like a man. So this is such direct, you know, uh, uh, speaking in terms of uh, what we have going on in today where where people, they they self-censor themselves, Um, but not Polycarp. When he was asked to swear by Caesar to save himself, he answered, If you imagine I will swear by Caesar, you do not know who I am. Let me tell you plainly, I am a Christian. So for us, we have to ask ourselves in today's world, is it easier to be a martyr than to go along with those, you know, at school or at the office? It's like, how do we hold our tongue? 
You know, do we remain silent about a known problem or the sin of another? Um, society tells us that we need to be politically correct, uh, to conform. But as Catholics, we know that candor matters. Um, and then part of the note to this world going against the grain must be to oppose the cancel culture and the tyranny it imposes over freedom and liberty to pursue the truth. Um, so looking to the example of St. Polycarp, we, we can counter what's known as like the chilling effect. Um, we do not, as Catholics, we don't want to uh, participate in the conformity tax. And as Catholics, we must embrace, embrace our contrarian streak and speak with candor when it's necessary to do so. Yeah, I agree. Um, an example today I would say is if people question, say, the real presence of God. In the Eucharist, I usually just say, I'm a Catholic. This is what we believe. Just like the creed, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think Polycarp is a great example of being very clear um, what the faith entails, what we do believe, and unabashedly had no problem calling people out and saying, this is, this is not true. This is the truth. This is what I believe. Mm -hmm. So um, I appreciate the virtue of candor. So the next uh, saint I wanted to talk about that I knew something about St. Rock. I mm -hmm. knew he was born in southern France or close to Italy. And um, I think he's pretty well known um, amongst the people because of the Middle Ages plague. And he was known to be a saint because he ministered to these people who were really sick without fear. Um, I, Padre Pio at the beginning of the chapter on St. Rock says, the spirit of humility is sweeter than honey and those who nourish themselves with this honey produce sweet fruit. And you use St. Rock as an example of humility. Um, he was born into a wealthy family. I understand his parents died about 20, but because he was heroic with the plague, I thought that was fascinating. But what I didn't know was that eventually, after years of ministering to the sick, he himself becomes sick. He's so humble, he doesn't want to infect anyone else or bother anyone else, so he goes into the forest in some remote hut and decides he's just going to suffer and pray alone. And then a dog miraculously comes to see him with a loaf of bread or probably a baguette in its mouth <laughs> and starts to um, nourish him. Uh, do you want to take it for that? I mean, it's a pretty amazing story. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, the dog uh, shows I love up this. and says, St. Rock, I brought you a baguette. <laughs> right. Of course, right? It goes, merci. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, right. The uh, He was there in the hut and then the dog was tending to him. Uh, slowly, his health was restored. Um, but he... Uh, he still, because he wanted to pursue a life of seclusion at, at, at this point, um, there was suspicion that he might be a spy. So he was cast into prison by his own uncle, who didn't recognize him. So he died in prison five years later. His identity was then discovered by the Red Cross birthmark on his chest. Um, many miracles were uh, um, attested to him, or um, acclaimed to him. And uh, so he's, he's the patron saint of dogs and um, against p plague and pestilence. So a very interesting saint who I paired with the virtue of humility. And many of the church scholars, uh, you know, our foremost scholars, they talk about humility. And to me, it's just it's nothing more complicated than looking to Blessed Mother and her greatest virtue. Her greatest virtue is that of humility. And we know that with 
the devil, um, his greatest uh, sin is that of pride. And so how perfectly it is that Blessed Mother uh, perfectly encompasses and embodies humility. So it was really wonderful for me to pair humility with St. Rock. But at the same time, when I was writing, I was also thinking about Blessed Mother. And if I could, we talk about um, heroism and the book's subtitled Heroic Catholic Through the Centuries. But to be a hero in today's times, we often think of superheroes and Marvel comics and, and that type of heroism. And true, there are many heroes in the church, whether it's Saint Rock or Saint Michael the Archangel or you know other saints who've um, done many great things and fought battles for the church. But equally, the saints who are able to exemplify heroic virtue. And by that, let me take a step back for just a second. There's, there's natural virtue, which could be courage. But then as Catholics, we know that we participate with supernatural virtue. And that's by attending the mass and frequent, frequenting the sacraments. But when you are able to do that to an extent and cooperate with the grace of God, then you start to operate on a different level as the saints did um, acting with heroic virtue. And that's what each of these chapters are about, whether it's patience, the patience of St. Monica, that's heroic. And we might, might, might not be able to, you know, to lead an army or to initiate the crusades, but what we can do is we can exemplify heroic virtues, and that's what we all pray for. And hopefully we'll have the grace of uh, final perseverance and, and, and stay true to the end. But, but that's what the book is about. It's not just about you know, taking on big things, you know, that everyone is very visible to everyone. It could be very, you know, just quiet, you know. So, so we'll talk about maybe some of the other saints in the book, but I just wanted to mention that, that humility, it really, it all does start with humility and, and cooperating with God. And lots of people, they say like, oh, aren't the saints, aren't they wonderful? But that's not necessarily the way that we should be thinking about them. We should say what great things God did or does through his saints. That's a big right. difference. Right, and I was going to say that the, um, I often think in contemporary times, the virtue of humility, some of people look at it, it's kind of negative or it's kind of corny, but then I say, you know, you look at thought leaders, influencers, you know, every everything is, as we say, in your face. Then you take someone, again, like St. Rock, who quietly um, was helping others uh, you know, the wealthy family and all the nobility didn't even know where he was, who he was. He never drew attention to himself. And that sense of just day in, day out, doing good for the sake, for the glory of God, and just trying to help others um, without any, you know, praise or feedback or accolades. And so I think um, it's a great lesson yeah, <laughs> today. And to focus way. the Catholic way on your inner life, your life with God, and in doing so. Yep you're able to help others. Yep. So the next one um, I want to talk about, who's not quite as well known, but it kind of um, tags with the theme, I think, of humility is St. Rose of Lima and modesty. And I wanted to read again, a quote from St. Padre Pio that starts off this chapter and says, by the virtue of modesty, the devout person governs all his exterior acts with good reason, then, does St. Paul recommend this virtue to all and declare how necessary it is. And if this were not enough, 
he considers that this virtue should be obvious to all. Um, so let's comment on St. Rose. Again, someone who came from a fairly well-to-do family, but a young, a very young age felt a calling to God and go to the convent, which is not necessarily what her parents wanted for her. No, they did not. Her father was a Spaniard uh, from, a, from a good family. Her mother was uh, an Inca. And from a young age, she wanted to devote her life to Christ, to serving the church, to serving others. Her parents encouraged her to, to be married, but she didn't want to do that. And because she was so um, attractive, she attracted that much more attention, which then ran counter to what her desire was, was to simply serve God, to serve the church. So she did maybe, uh, you know, she took you know the matter into her own hands. So she cut her hair, her long hair, to make her be a little bit more unattractive. And because that wasn't enough, then she took pepper and lye and she put it all over her face to kind of disfigure her face to make her that much more unattractive to the other young gentlemen uh, so that she could really focus on serving Christ. Um, so eventually she, her parents still did not want her to, to become a religious. But in time, her parents, they did see where she, her, she did have a vocation and she uh, pursued... Uh, becoming a, a Dominican, a, uh, I believe it's a tertiary, like St. Catherine of Siena, and that was her, uh, she chose Rose as her confirmation name, and, uh, and I paired modesty with St. Rose, because so many people today, they want the attention, especially with social media, it's like, look at me, look at me. But to her, uh, it was no. It was like, please don't look at me because I, I want to be of service to others. Um, and so it's a contradiction, which is, again, what, what the book is about. To be a Catholic, to go against the grain, you know, to not go with the flow, to do what you know, might be counterintuitive you know, uh, much of the time. But, but Rose did a wonderful job of um, embodying that. So I chose her for the 17th century and then pairing her with modesty uh, to live a life of, of self-control and chastity. Um, so I, I, and she died, I believe, at the age of 31, relatively young. Yeah. So, uh, so that's St. Rose, a wonderful saint. All right, so now um, I want to go to the 20th century, and this is one of the most fascinating figures I feel in the book, and that is the Austrian Franz Jägerstetter that um, lived in a village atop, I guess, the high mountains of Austria in a tiny village uh, was married with three young children and um, the virtue uh, that you chose for him is called hiddenness now again you know sometimes people I guess think these saints are you know not everybody has to be out there either in the public eye or like a Mother Teresa uh, in this case this young man uh, was married with like I said three girls um, they had a tough life. They had a small farm. Um, they had to work hard. And when Hitler came and took over Austria, the village below and his neighbors just expected everybody to capitulate and go along with, you know, the new occupation and and um, take a pledge of allegiance or an oath to Hitler. And he refused. And this wasn't some man that was trying to draw attention to himself or do whatever. And he was well aware 
what risks might be entailed um, were he to do this. And um, I'd like you to elaborate on him. He's a blessed. And a sidebar is that there's a beautiful movie that came out about five years ago called A Hidden Life that my pal Dan Cheely and I agree is one of the most Catholic movies we've ever seen. I did not realize at the time I saw that movie that it was about Franz Jägerstetter. I didn't realize it was a real person. And it is an incredibly moving movie and his life is about himself his commitment to god and just commitment to family um so why don't you elaborate on him he's just really one of my favorites in the book and just this quiet devout life and just staying the course staying true to god staying true to virtue um sure with 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 blessed franz uh he was you know one of the easier people to write about just something about him was so relatable and hopefully for all Catholics who look to him and his example it, it, it wasn't that he was loud or flashy or did great things or wrote great things or had the stigmata or um, you know initiated great campaigns yeah, yeah, and he ostensibly like, holy acts no, so to it speak was, it was just like, daily it was like, life yeah this is, this is just someone who when faced with uh, tremendous pressure from the town to say, how can you do this? Don't you know that you will be, you know, betraying your wife and your children? And he simply responded to them, uh, I cannot believe that just because one has a wife and children, a man is free to offend God. Just the simplicity of, of that, that thinking, um, that's Catholicism, that to me is truly heroic. Um, so... I, th I think with, with Franz and his example and some of the quotes from the movie of A Hidden Life, it was just spoke to me uh, in in a world where we, so many people, they try to, to get followers and clicks and, you know, just like they put attention on themselves. He's like, no, I don't want the attention. I just do what, I just want to do what is right. And and this chapter, there's just, to review it, to, to, to see what he wrote to his, to his wife, to his children, some of the quotes that are that are in the movie um like for instance like the the last recorded words before his death were i am completely bound in inner union with the lord it's like what a saint you know to to have those thoughts the grace of final perseverance so um yeah well he's just one of my favorites so mm -hmm. i can all, i can definitely recommend the movie and i just want to say in the book there's a picture of his three young daughters, and I believe they're all under six. And it says in German, Lieber Vater, komm bald. And this is when he's imprisoned for his beliefs, and it just is basically saying, Dear Father, come home soon. And um, I guess just that power of knowing you have a higher calling to God. And he was always praying for his wife, who's also pretty heroic, I mean, very heroic and, you know, very strong marriage. And just... Uh, knew that he would meet his family in heaven. There's just something about that to me that's just so powerful. Um, One of the most powerful scenes of the movie was when his wife Francesca visited him in prison. Uh, to me, it was something where uh, it was the last time that they would see each other. And um, Francesca, she says, you know, in a voice not much greater than that of a whisper, she says, whatever you do, I'm with you always and and for whatever reason you know uh i thought of jesus's final words in matthew's gospel 
and behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. And to have someone support you to say that they're with you, that means absolutely everything, right. you know, in, in human relationships. But we have that relationship with Christ. We know that Christ is with us always. So no matter what, whatever hardships and difficulties and challenges we face, Christ is with us. And we definitely need to be with him and be with our church. And so, but... Uh, I can't say enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie is so moving. It's a testament to yeah. friends, but it's also a testament to um, a sacramental marriage and how oh, the no wife, doubt. again, if you really love God, you encourage, you know, you help your spouse follow God's will. As you follow God's will, you accept God's will. And it's just really, that's a really powerful scene. Well, okay, so that's kind of um, like so many saints uh, that, or he's a blessed, but. That has a rather sad ending, but now we're going to switch to a young blessed, um, Carlo Acutis, that some many people haven't heard of this young man who um, is from Italy and Milan, and he died, I believe, of uh, cancer at only 15 or 16. But before that, he's a devout Catholic, and I believe he spent a lot of time promoting uh, Eucharistic miracles on the internet. So. We're going from kind of one extreme to the other for people promoting themselves, not necessarily for good or drawing attention to themselves. And this young kid, basically this young boy, um, decided to really spread the word of Christ in a very contemporary way for the good. Mm-hmm. So uh, would you like to comment on him? I think he's sure. fascinating. He and is. I think he's just such a great role model for children today, given all that they face. Yep, no doubt. So uh, Carlo Acutis uh, he was a very young saint, and he was able to focus not attention so much on himself, but to focus it on Christ, specifically Christ in the Eucharist. Um, he was one of the early people to take advantage of the Internet in promoting uh, Eucharistic adoration sites, and I believe he had two or three primary uh, Internet sites where he was out there and saying, look, this is Catholicism. I want the whole world to know about this. So it was young. He did this from, you know, a very early age as a teenager. Um, so, and I paired the virtue of joy. And to start the book, I, I started it with St. Martha and friendship. And I thought I would end it on an equally positive and optimistic note to end the book with the virtue of joy. Because we could be, you know, very devout people. But as uh, I heard one priest uh, mention to me, Catholics, we don't want to be known as the frozen chosen. <laughs> and so we, we can't, you know, be so pious or so inward that we lose, we lose uh, the ability to speak with joy. And so in speaking with joy, I just wanted to mention, if I could, um, on the cover of the book, we have Holy Simeon. We, it's the presentation from Fra Angelico from 1450, where Blessed Mother presents Jesus to Holy Simeon. And Holy Simeon receives Jesus and says, you are signum qui contradictor. You are a sign of contradiction. And to us, that's what being a Catholic is all about. We're not meant for this world. We're meant for the next world. Um, We're not supposed to go along with the crowd, especially when it's doing things that are not pleasing to God. Uh, We are to be contrarians. We are to go against the grain. We are to be signs of contradiction. So that's the whole point of the book, is to look to the saints for their example to look to the virtue so that we increase in virtue and holiness. And as we do that, um, we imitate Christ and his example of being a sign of contradiction, and we go against the grain. 
Well, thank you uh, so much, Doug. I just wanted to mention for our Chicago listeners, everybody in the area, that um, two parishes merged, St. Hedwig and St. John Birchman in Bucktown, and it's now called Carlos Acuda's Parish, and they have a side adoration chapel if you go into the main church and a first-class relic of Carlo um, Okuda. So I encourage everybody to make a visit there. It's also, um, it's at St. Hedwig's. It's also a stunningly beautiful church. Um, so to wrap up, I wanted to thank Doug Gray and just say to people, um, I read a lot, a lot of Catholic books cross my desk, but there's so many different layers and aspects to this book, the saints, the virtues. Again, I just can't recommend it highly enough. I think it will inspire you, whichever saints you choose to read about. And I want to thank Doug so much for joining us today. And thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. You could get the book online at most of the major booksellers, including Amazon. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Be saints. This has been WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at wsfiradio.org.